0: Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon.
1: Have you ever wondered, what does it really mean to be saved? A lot of people understand that, well, yes, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I've asked him for forgiveness, and I've asked him to be my Savior and Lord, and we believe, praise the Lord that He is our Savior, that He died, He was buried, and He rose again, and that having come to Him and said, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins, we believe and we receive by faith forgiveness. We receive His mercy that takes away our sin and makes us clean, makes us righteous, and we're forgiven. Praise the Lord. But not everybody understands that That what happens in salvation is more than just a sinner being forgiven. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. It's a fourfold atonement, which is so amazing. Wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for our sin. So we don't have to be punished for our sin. That's such good news. Go and tell the disciples and Peter, the angel said when Jesus rose again. And in that, that, the Lord is looking for us. No matter what we've done, He has mercy. He has forgiveness available for us. Thank you, Jesus. You were wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities which is a different word to transgressions, if you look at it in the Hebrew. It means crookedness. He was crushed for our crookedness. So He didn't just pay the price of our sin. He actually also took away our iniquity. He took away everything about us that was crooked. This is such an amazing thought. So He came to make the crooked places straight. The crooked way is straight. Everything about you and I that was crooked, He came and He made new. He gave you a new heart. So you no longer identified as a sinner. We were sinners and we repented and asked God for mercy. And then we became, according to the Scripture, saints. Hallelujah. New creations. Our iniquity being taken away. Our hearts being circumcised and, and made brand new. that. That's why we are called born again believers in that we have been born again. We're no longer sinners. We're no longer who we were, but we've been given new hearts. But as believers, often we do sin. And then these scriptures here, particularly these ones in 1 John 3, can be quite confusing. I want to just read you a few of these that used to really confuse me and actually condemn me. It says here, but but wait, there's really good news. And I'm gonna have a discussion with my friend Mark Greenwood tonight, and it's gonna be so wonderful. It says here in verse 4 of 1 John chapter 3: Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. That's a That's a big one. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil is sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Hallelujah. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. And it goes through. And, and talks about how we've passed out of death into life. Um, it talks about the importance of loving the brethren, loving not just in word, but in deed and truth. And then he says here in verse 20, In whatever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Hallelujah. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. And then he tells us what these commandments are. He says, "And this is his commandment that we believe on the name of his Son Jesus Christ and love one another, just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him." So, this this whole chapter is is quite fascinating. It 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 begins and ends with abiding, and then it tells us what abiding looks like. And I, I looked at this verse here in verse six. It says. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Well, I looked up that word seen, and it actually means, in if you look it up in the Strongs, so you can see that it actually means stare, to stare at. So another way to translate that would be no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins is staring at him. And so one of the keys that we find here in the Scripture to living a life free from sin is beholding him keeping our eyes on him fixing our gaze on him staring at him but you know this is a fascinating fascinating passage to say that no one who is born of God verse 9 practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God that can be really confusing. You could look at that and go, "Well, I've sinned. Does that mean I'm not born again?" It's a question a lot of people have. I'm just going to have a chat with with Mark about this. This is a fascinating scripture. You know, do people ask you about this? What, what, what's What's this all about?
0: Well, it's an it is a fascinating passage, as you say. Um, I was just excited to hear you mention that the word "seen." actually means the word to stare at and so i've actually got a, a strong's concordance here on my bible app and i've looked it up in strong's and it, the, the very first definition is to stare at i, I just think that's isn't incredible isn't it exciting yeah. it's the same in
1: in um, third john where he wow. he who doesn't he he who sins hasn't seen him or known him as the same word hasn't isn't staring at him so it's not a one-off encounter
0: wow it's It's actually
1: continuous
0: wow (laughs) and this goes on to define it also to attend to him or to uh, perceive to behold and to stare at i just think that's it uh, that adds so much context i think um to seeing him and it makes it so intimate doesn't it? And and for me, I, th- I feel like the word abide, as Pastor Catherine said, is really the key to this passage. Um, you know, one thing I've found when people do bring up this passage with me is that sometimes when we're starting to learn and discover in the Word that, you know, we have been set free from sin, that we've become saints and sons and daughters, that as far as the East is from the West, that's how far He's removed our sins from us we can start to get this incredible, exciting perspective about, gosh, how could I live in freedom now? How could I live in holiness? There there's must be so much more available for me. Uh, but sometimes what I feel like is if we, if we make holiness and freedom the focus, when I feel like abiding is really the focus here, then we try to make holiness the root when really holiness is the fruit.
1: That is such a good word. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. And
0: so I really feel like abiding in him. I mean, Jesus said that he is the vine and we are the branches. And so to abide in him, to, to behold him and stare at him is really the root system of what comes out of our lives. And so I think if, I think a real key here is that holiness is the fruit of abiding. And when we keep that in its right order, um, and, and don't get too tangled up on, okay, I need more freedom, I need more holiness, I need more this. And sometimes the enemy can tell us that as well and point to out all the things we want to grow in. And we can get busy trying to do that, but without staring, without beholding, without attending to the presence of God and to our, our, our spiritual intimacy with Him. So... Yeah, I feel like abiding is such a key to this. It's so
1: powerful. But what it's not saying is, is that it's okay to sin. That's not what this is saying. He's saying he who practices righteousness is righteous. It's it's practicing. It's actually putting into practice what we have. But we also know in the context of the whole Word of God that we don't earn our salvation through our works. It's We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we don't change everything, you know, Based on one verse, but we understand this is actually helping us come into a place of maturity and recognizing this is an invitation to really learn what it looks like to live as you were invited to live, and that is free from sin. He has called us; it's actually possible. This is telling us that your identity, and I love your um, the way you put it, that the Word of God is a a mirror, not a measure. That the word of God here isn't, it's not a measurement. You say, oh, I've sinned, therefore I'm not born of God. That's not what it's saying. We are righteous by faith, believing, having confessed our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We then have to accept, as it says in verse 20, that He's greater than our hearts. Even if our hearts condemn us and we go, I still feel guilty. He says He says that He is greater than our hearts. And then He says, if you will walk in faith that you are not condemned, then you will have confidence before God and whatever you ask, you'll receive. Because it's the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man, not a guilty man or woman, but a righteous man that avails much. And no one is righteous by their own works. We know that that's firmly established through the whole um, context of Scripture. No one is justified by their works. But... As we receive by faith the gift of righteousness, we also need to understand that it's not a case of just saying I'm righteous and then living in sin. It's actually repenting and turning from that sin and practicing righteousness. And Mark, you just have some of the most amazing revelation on perfect and practiced righteousness, which I just think is astonishing. Can you just speak into that a little bit?
0: Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, um, So when i actually love this passage too because it talks about everyone who practices righteousness is righteous and sometimes we can we can take our doctrine that we've become righteous and and stop there and and, and we're and doctrine's incredible and it's edifying to to get revelation from the word but in the heart of god and very much i think the apostle john captures it here is this this equal desire for us to practice righteousness as it was his desire to give us righteousness in the first place so he's he's so passionate about our salvation bubbling up, our new life bubbling up into our day-to-day activity. And and as Pastor Catherine said, our holiness doesn't save us. Faith in Jesus Christ saves us. However, holiness is this invitation, this this desire of our God who we love for us to live out as evidence of our salvation and righteousness. And yeah, so we talk about the concept of perfect righteousness and practiced righteousness and you know we believe as the word teaches that when we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that jesus christ is lord it's at that point actually that we are regenerated and we are washed by the holy spirit you know revelation 1 verse 5 says that we are cleansed from our sins by his blood you know, it says in Ephesians uh, 5 verse 8 that once we were darkness, but now we are light. So this, this incredible transformation happens, but it happens on the inside and it's a very real transformation. But now the Holy Spirit wants to teach us in, in this next phase, which isn't perfect righteousness. That's, that's his gift to us, but now it's practiced righteousness or practical righteousness. He wants to teach us how to live this out. You know, it's not. Um, I had this this incredible moment once when I was actually writing my book, um, Awake to Righteousness, and and I had this. I had so much clarity on my doctrine and what I what I felt I believed, and I was spending so much time in the Word. But some of those niggling temptations, or, or negative thoughts, or things that I might have um, dealt with in the past, I could sometimes still uh, feel them in in the atmosphere. In the same way I had before, even though I had so much doctrinal clarity, and I felt like the Lord began to to teach me that it's it's not actually our doctrine that keeps us holy or or that makes us live holy. It helps us. It sets the groundwork. It it builds our expectation for what's possible. But it's actually our decisions on top of our doctrine. It's our, it's the decisions we make every day that I'm gonna. I'm going to stare at God today. I'm going to capture his presence. I'm going to learn how to not just think righteousness but live righteousness. And so yeah, we really it's such a value for us.
1: It's it's so key, I think, because a lot of people they they know this and then when they don't live up to it, they live in condemnation and think I'm still not measuring up. And you know, as much as I say it's an invitation, it's it's a command to to be holy as I am holy. And then uh, when you mess up, you can feel like, oh, I'm still not living up. Am I, am I even born again? Well, the Bible says if you believe in Him and you have confessed that He is Lord, as you've repented and given Him your sin and received His mercy, you are righteous, even if you don't feel like it. You have to be there just to live by faith and say, I believe you're better than I feel like I deserve. But then recognize that he says to us, go and sin no more. And he doesn't tell us to do that um, in, in some you know, teasing way, knowing that we won't be able to, but he actually gives us power. The Bible says he makes a way of escape out of every temptation. And so by applying this concept of staring at him, what it's talking about is looking to him in every situation, So when a temptation comes and you feel tempted to be judgmental or angry or to to do something you shouldn't do or say something you shouldn't say or if you're getting caught in a negative pattern, instead of feeling bad about the fact that you're having those feelings or those thoughts... Instead, turn your gaze to Him and say, Lord, you're my helper. You're my ever-present help in time of need. And my time of need is right now. So Lord, I'm looking at you and I'm saying, you're the one who makes a way of escape out of every temptation. You promised that. So I'm going to look to you. What's the way of escape out of this negative thought pattern? I'm looking to you. And you look with an expectation to receive because that's the faith, the activator that causes it uh, to be to become a reality for you. Emily and Tom have been at home uh, this this last week, and um, they just experimented with making some sourdough bread. And it was quite a mission. You should have seen them kneading the dough. I was very impressed. I was an active onlooker, and um, but. You know, this This bread does not rise unless it has the seed in it. If it, it doesn't have the, the seed, it, it will not rise. You can't make sourdough bread without the seed. And in the same way, we need to recognize that our ability to walk free from sin is not based on ourselves or our own efforts. If it were, we could pat ourselves on the back and say, I'm doing well. But we can't take any glory for it because it's actually His seed living on the inside of us that empowers us to do it. And if we will live a life where we are continually turning our eyes to the Helper, that is a life of true humility. Humility isn't thinking badly of yourself. Humility is us looking to Him and saying, God, I acknowledge every minute of every day I need you. I need you. Every hour I need you, as the old hymn would say. Lord, I need you. I need you to help me. I need your help today to make a right choice. I need your help today to bring, me, uh, to bring me through. I need your help to make a way of escape out of temptation. Temptation doesn't make you bad. Jesus was tempted. But God makes a way of escape for you so you don't have to yield to it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So good.
0: Amen. I absolutely love that. And and that key that temptation isn't sin. That sin is sin. That the temptation isn't our responsibility to wear or to be condemned by. It's it's amazing how the enemy can can throw this thing called a fiery dart of temptation. And then as soon as you feel it or, or have the thought, he's right there to be like you shouldn't be thinking like that, you shouldn't be feeling that, when really it actually came from Him in the first place. So He's giving these temptations and then trying to blame us for having them. But as you say, if Jesus was tempted, it actually says in, in Hebrews chapter 4 that He was tempted in every way, just as we are, which means He didn't experience temptation in some different way that, that we can't relate to. He it, Literally, what we feel of temptation is exactly what he felt. Hebrews 4 teaches. That's why he's our great high priest who can empathize with us, who understands what that feels like. But he created this example for us in, in withstanding and setting his heart and his mind on the truth and deciding to walk in that holiness and, and maintain this stance of I know who I am. I'm the son of God. I, I am a son. I am pure, and I'm going to walk that out. So I just think that's incredible. Yeah, oh,
1: praise God. And then you know, there's it. If you look through this, I love this chapter because it feels like a little micro micro um, summary of the whole gospel really here in, in chapter 3 about abiding in Him, knowing Him, fixing our gaze on Him, believing on Him as the Son of God, but then um, obeying His command to believe and receive the gift of mercy, the gift of righteousness, the gift of eternal life, and then loving one another. But then He also tells us that um We love because He first loved us. And so in recognizing this idea of staring at God, of living a life, of being aware, acknowledging Him in all of our ways, as it says in Proverbs 3, and He will make your path straight, is the key to life and everything. If you acknowledge you're here all the time and I'm going to try to to live a life of of fostering an awareness of your presence all the time, then I I begin to live with the helper and aware that he's here holding my hand, wanting to help me all the time. And all the time you are there to make my path straight. So by acknowledging you, I can look to you, but then I can also take time to let you fill me up with love, fill me up to overflowing. Because with the level that I receive your love for myself, then I can then give that love to everybody else. I can't give what I'm not receiving. And and to receive the love of God, he wants to cause it to fill our hearts to the point of it's overflowing. And an overflow means a continual receiving. You can't overflow if you're not continually receiving. So the scripture is not about having a one-off encounter with God or a one-off encounter or revelation that God loves you. It's about living in that place of encounter of every day, looking at Him in faith, believing that He is the father of the prodigal son all the time in that He is running towards us every time we look to Him. He is there, ready to wrap His arms around us, always happy to see us. And when we have faith in that, we can receive continually the love that will empower us to fulfill this command to love one another. Amen.
0: That's incredible. I agree. I just love that. That's that's in this passage too. We love because He first loved us, and I think that's so the heart of the new covenant. Is that you know in the old in the old covenant, uh, as we read, it, the the concept was that we're we're sort of reaching out to God um, because Jesus hadn't yet come to fully reveal Him and we're reaching out to understand his love and but because of, you know, sin and how it had impacted our understanding, we couldn't quite see him in all his love. But now this new this Jesus comes and and he reveals the father and he leads the way. He starts the conversation and it it really sets the gospel apart from just any other belief in that we have this God who pursued us. We have this God who who um, sought to reach into our lives and redeem us um, so freely and so fully. So I just think that's incredible. Uh, yeah.
1: Just talk for a few minutes into what it looks like to actually live free, to live in this place of I am, I'm loved, I'm forgiven. And, and, you know, is it possible mm. to live free from sin?
0: Wow, Amen. What a question. I I think about this a lot. I I have journeyed in this because there's these passages in the Bible that that so uh, explicitly imply, you know, that that it's possible to live a holy life. And you know, we we live in this covenant now of grace, and so it's not it's not a holiness that we strive for like like we may be used to, but again, it's the fruit of abiding in this person of Jesus. you know now that now that Jesus has removed this sinful condition we used to have, you know it, the heart behind it wasn't actually just to make us pure and holy, but it was to make us compatible again with God. His ultimate aim was actually for restoration of relationship. the thing that was stolen from him in the garden, When the enemy deceived Adam and Eve. So ultimately the the joy of being set free from sin and made holy and righteous is that, oh my goodness, I am compatible with God again. I can come boldly before the throne of grace, not because of what I did, but because of what he did. And I know that in my life, when it comes to living in freedom and and exploring what, what does that look like for me now. The biggest key is looking at Jesus because 1 John 4 verse 17, just the next chapter over, says that as He is, so are we in this world. So that means essentially we're two sides of the same coin because His Spirit's come to live in us. And so He becomes a true example. And His greatest Principle and teaching and value was to withdraw, was to be with the Father. What, no matter how busy He became doing good works and, and the miraculous and all these incredible things, He set time aside for the Father. And I know in my life, when it comes to living in freedom, the easiest freedom for me is always when I am most enjoying the presence of God and prioritizing the presence of God. It seems to be, again, the fruit of holiness, the fruit of freedom is always coming as the, the, um, the result of prioritizing his presence and my relationship with him.
1: Yeah. Hallelujah. You know, I really believe that if, you, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I want to live a life free from sin, I want to encourage you just to reach out and say, Jesus, I believe that you took my sin and that you paid the price for my sin. I, I repent. And if you're doing anything habitually wrong, repent. Say, I'm sorry, God, I don't want to do that anymore. And ask Him for help. Ask Him to come into your life, make you new on the inside and say, Lord, I need you to be my Lord and Savior. And you know what? He'll do that. He'll not only take away your sin, He'll take away your shame and He'll give you brand new life. My prayer for you today is that you would know Him as your Lord. Hallelujah.
0: Thank you for joining us. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website, www.glorycitychurch.com.au We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need,